from uh, Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the mist of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bushes, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you stand, you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send to you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Joseph, Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, uh, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey.
Let me add my welcome to Andrews if you're new amongst us today. It's great to see you. Uh, we are continuing our series on the Ten Commandments, and our, our hope is as a, um, a sort of bonus extra, as well as understanding the Ten Commandments, which are our main aim, is that we'll be able to commit them a little bit to memory. So if you were asked to list all ten, could you? And the hope is that by the end of ten weeks in them, you, you can. So we're just going to read them all together, um, as we did the last couple of weeks, and hopefully in another seven weeks' time, it's a good chance that you'll be able to list them unprompted. So um, Exodus chapter 20 on page 61. And we're going to say the words together. I will say um, verse 1 and 2, which is kind of introduction. And then please join in with the first commandment in verse 3. And we'll read all the way through to verse 17. God spoke all these words, saying... I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Honour your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbour's. Let's, let's pray again. Father, we pray that these laws you would write on our hearts by your Spirit. Help us to walk in your ways in a way that pleases you. For Jesus' sake, amen. So um, here we are at commandment number three, and it's there in verse seven. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I wonder what you're expecting this commandment to be about, what this sermon's going to be about. And if you'd asked me, I guess, years ago, I would have said, well, this is the commandment against swearing. So Christians shouldn't be saying, God Almighty, in that kind of cursing kind of way, or Jesus H. Christ. I don't know where that in middle initial comes from, but that's what you get in Hollywood, isn't it, often? Or OMG in the text form, or bloody hell in a kind of slanderous way of speaking about a real place. Christians, watch your language. That's what I expect it to be about. And it is kind of about that, 
and we'll see a bit later, but it's about something much more than that. And what we're going to spend most of our time doing, actually, is, is looking at why God's name is such a big deal and such a wonderful thing, and then we're going to understand why it's not to be used in vain or used wrongly. So that's the shape of it. And you'll see a little outline on the inside of the service sheet. We've got quite a lot to look at, um, and uh, that might help you as we go through. Um, we're going to do quite a lot of different verses. I'm going to try and give an overview of the Bible. As, as Andy said, usually our practice at Grace Church is to go through whole books of the Bible, passage by passage. But unusually, for this series, we're taking the Ten Commandments and then doing a kind of survey across the whole Bible of the themes that the Ten Commandments introduce. So today, across the whole Bible, what do we learn about God's name? And you might say that God's name is his brand. It's when you see the name the Lord or you, you hear the name Jesus Christ, what do you think of? That association is God's brand, that is God's name. Of course, that's how names work, isn't it? If you hear someone say, Andrew Satch, or as Sarah Wilde gave me very graciously my full, rather pompous title, the Reverend Dr. Andrew Satch, what do you think of? Now, there'll be all sorts of associations about that name, depending about what you think of me, and whether we know each other well. And uh, things will call to mind as you hear the name. And of course, um, branding is a million, billion dollar industry around the world. People trying to associate a word or a logo. God doesn't have a logo. He's more into words than uh, art, as we saw, um, than than just uh, images, as we saw last week. But um, it is a huge industry. So Coca-Cola, for example, apparently the brand is worth over $31 billion. That is how much it costs just to own, or the the sort of selling value or the amount people invest in, just because you use that name, Coca-Cola, or you have that logo, the sort of spirally writing Coca-Cola that everyone knows. Apparently, the, the most recognizable um, brand in the world now is Google, because every time you turn on a computer, you see, and all it is is just a, a word um, in colorful writing, but even that font of that little G, everyone instantly thinks of Google and all sorts of things associated with it. A little letter F, means Facebook, which used to mean friends and now means we know everything about you and are selling it and had a bit of a brand crisis. People, of course, try to rebrand. If you've got an association with your name that's gone a bit wrong, uh, you see if you can win it back. So BP, for example, British Petroleum, um, doesn't sound that good in the 21st century, partly because we don't like to be too colonial, so the British bit isn't so good, and partly because we don't like petroleum, because we're all worried about Extinction Rebellion. And so now they, as you probably know, are rebranding as Beyond Petroleum, which I think fools no one, right? They want to keep their letters, pretend they mean something else. It's a bit rude to Britain. And let's face it, it's all about petroleum. I mean, sure, they build a couple of wind farms here and there to increase their public image, but mainly they find oil and sell it and we burn it. So, um, but rebranding, what do you associate with the name BP? What do you associate with the name Facebook? What do you associate with the name Andrew Satch? What do you associate with the name Jesus Christ? Well, of course, if you're a Christian, automatically that name has a wonderful association, a beautiful name. And it turns out that God's name is essential to summarizing who he is, what he's about. God's name uh, is his brand. And we see that most clearly in in the Bible, in Exodus chapter 3, where God speaks to Moses in a very unexpected way. Moses is just minding his business 
working as a shepherd, looking after some flocks, and suddenly God uses a bush as a public address system. And it's a very strange thing because the bush is speaking to him. It's even stranger because the bush is on fire. It's even stranger than that because the bush is on fire but not burning up. So a bush that's on fire but not burning up that uh, is speaking to you, that gets your attention. And so it's one of the most famous bits of the, the Old Testament. But actually it's all about God explaining his name. So if, you've, um, if you turn back to page 46 in your Bible, Exodus chapter 3. And the key question comes in verse 13. Supposing, says Moses, supposing the Israelite says, look, who exactly did you meet while you were being a shepherd, while a bush was talking to you? What is your name? And then God answers it in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, that in itself is quite a paradoxical name, isn't it? So imagine, you know, you're meeting someone in a, in a pod, say, well, hello, what's your name? Oh, my name's Andrew. And you meet somebody else, what's your name? Well, my name's Andrew. And it turns out as you go around Grace Church Greenwich, if you're new here, you'll discover you get that answer statistically more than most. I think we have five Andrews with Nathan's close behind. Uh, my name's also Andrew. And you meet somebody else and say, oh, my name is I am. You're like, that's a weird name. Um, we probably wouldn't say that. He's politely say because you're at a party. Oh, well, I've never heard that name before. To tell me a bit about more what, what that name comes from or what it stands for. Oh, I am. It just basically means, well, it means uh, I am, really. It, it's sort of a weird name, isn't it? It's just God saying, I just, I exist. I am the person who I am. I think actually the point of it is God isn't comparing himself to anyone else to explain his identity. He's comparing himself only to himself. So if I met you, I could say, um, uh, my name's Andrew. I am the son of Howard and Linda. Or in another context, I might say, well, hi, I'm I'm Andrew. I'm the um, older brother of Julia. But God doesn't want to define himself relative to somebody else because he is the ultimate reference point. So he just defines himself... uh, I don't know if we've met before. I am the God who is, and I'm like me. I am who I am. So it's a sort of puzzle. But then in the context, he starts to explain what his name stands for. He starts to unpack it a bit. Now, actually, names in the Bible often have meanings. And so in the book of Exodus, Moses is called Moses because, can anyone remember? Remember why he's called Moses? We studied Exodus about three years ago at Grace Church Greens. It's getting a bit rusty. Yes? From the river, yeah, brilliant. It means to be fished out of the river. So Moses is like the Hebrew word for fished out because he was in a little basket in the, in the river and he was brought out. Uh, the name Samuel, anyone know what Samuel means? Have we got any Samuels here? It means God heard because he was an answer to a prayer that his mum Hannah had prayed and the Lord heard her prayer. So they called him God heard. Or Nathan means the Lord gave Andrew, you're probably wondering, Andrew means manly. Um, it, 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 it actually really does, don't, don't laugh, but that is what it means. It comes from the Greek word andros, meaning man. So uh, in the Bible, names have meaning. So what does the name I am mean? What does it stand for? Well, God quickly begins to explain. He says in the next sentence, he says, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to, to you. This is my name. 
Now, this is a bit of a puzzle because it, it, straight away we find out that God has got more than one name, even though he's only ever called his name. So, like, like I say, what's your name? My name's Andrew. What's your second name, your middle name? My middle name is John. But you ask God, he starts giving you lots and lots of different answers. Say, so God is called I am who I am. And God is called the Lord. Uh, and God is called the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And elsewhere, God is called a consuming fire. Or he's called El Shaddai. Um, or he's, he, he's got lots of different names. But they're actually all just his, his name. It's the same hymn, just explained and unpacked in more and more ways. And here in Exodus, he says to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that basically is shorthand for, I'm the God who keeps promises. The reason Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were famous in the Bible is because they're the people that God made the best promises to. Abraham was the granddad. He promised to Abraham, you're going to be a great nation, um, as many as the stars in the sky, and I'm going to bring you to a, a special place, a promised land. And then he repeated the promises to his son Isaac, you're going to be a great nation, as many as the, the dust and the earth, many as the grains of dust, and I'm going to bring you to a promised land. Then he repeats the promise to his son, the grandson, Isaac, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You're going to be a great nation, as many as the sand on the seashore, and I'm going to bring you to a promised land. God is promising to be good to them, and now he says, that is bound up with my name. Uh, my name means I'm going to keep my promises. Now again, that brings us close to the idea of a brand, doesn't it? Because it used to be that, that companies would be named after somebody so that you could trust the company if you trust the person. So particularly it's a thing for law firms. Um, we've only got, um, we've got several lawyers here, but I know Ed Crossley's in the front row. So you imagine Crossley and Crossley law firm, and you go to Crossley and Crossley if you trust the Crossleys. So you put your name in your title because it means you can trust me because you know what I'm like. And that's what God means by his name. You can trust me. You know that I keep my promises. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. And specifically, God is going to keep his promises to rescue them out of the land of Egypt. He's going to keep his promises to smash their enemies. He's going to keep his promises to be with them. All of the action of the book of Exodus to keep his promises, to save them, to destroy their enemies and to be with them is summed up in his name. And so later on, for example, he is called, the, the name of the Lord is called uh, the Lord who saves you because that's who he is. In chapter 15 where they're singing a great song because they've just beat the Egyptians, uh, they sing, the Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. It means he's the one who fights for you. Um, and then I've called God an ever-present father. In the book of Exodus, the big idea is God is going to come and be with you. In fact, when they, they build the, the temple um, in the middle of Jerusalem, God says about it, this is going to be a house for my name. It's a weird thing, isn't it? Say, oh, who, um, who moved into your street the other day? Oh, the, the name of Andrew moved into your street. No, Andrew moved in, right? But in the Bible, it's called the name of the Lord moved in the house where God says my name will be there because God's name is about being close to him being able to be friends with him and in the New Testament of course God is called father which is that same idea of being close to you and accessible and intimate with you all those things are wrapped up in God's brand in God's name well God's name therefore 
is a blessing to Christians. It is a great thing for Christians to know God's name. And I've got two different sides to the coin. Firstly, God's name is a blessing because we can call upon it. Uh, if you know someone's name, you're more likely to get their attention, aren't, um, aren't you? If I was walking along in a big crowd and you suddenly called out, Andrew, uh, you have the advantage over the guy who said, Oi, bald, tall guy with glasses on. I'd be unlikely to turn around for that. Andrew, I might turn around. Or if you knew me really well, you, well, historically, you might call me Sachi. Not necessarily inviting people to call me that, but um, there was a period in my life where most people called me that. And I thought, oh, you're unlikely just to be a stranger in the street. You're somebody who knows me. And I, I turn around and you got my attention. So to be able to call on somebody by name is to say we're in a relationship and that gives me special access to you. Um, I guess there are people, I suppose anyone could call that, couldn't they? Donald! And get the attention of the President of the United States of America. But maybe he's got a special little nickname, no need to his family. And if they call it out, he knows it's somebody who knows him well. So to know God's name, to call on his name, is to get his attention and to get his help. And this is a precious thing in the Bible. So we read, for example, God's promise that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It means to know him and to ask him for help. Um, Lord Jesus, save me. And he will. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We, um, Andy's already shared the verse in Acts when the apostles say, Acts chapter 4, there's salvation in no other name. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. If you know this name, if you know this God, he will help you and rescue you and save you. So we can call upon the name and therefore it becomes a precious thing, doesn't it? That the word Jesus Christ um, is somebody that loves you and that we call upon and trust in and he rescues us. But then amazingly, we can also be called by this name. We call upon this name as we pray and we're called by this name as God identifies us as his people. And it comes a few times in the Bible that God describes my people who are called by my name. Who are you? Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, what does the word Christian mean? Oh, it means I'm one of the people who, um, who follows that man, Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. And so it's just without even thinking, we're, we're associating with his name. We're the people called by his name. And so therefore, God's name becomes, for the Christian, a precious thing. It's all about his brand and who he is, what he stands for. But it's all about our relationship with him. That I call out to him and he identifies me as belonging to him. And it turns out that God wants his name to be known. God is very keen for his brand to go global. And again, we discover that in the book of Exodus. It's one of the big themes of Exodus. That God does his rescuing and does his defeating of Pharaoh and the Egyptians in order that they may know that I am the Lord. That's what he keeps saying. Um, why are you going to turn the, the water of the Nile to blood, God? Well, it's partly to um, convince Pharaoh to let you go because, you know, drinking blood isn't very nice and he'll, he'll kind of give up 
um, trying to fight me. So it's a sort of a, a way of um, dealing the first blow to Pharaoh in this fight that we've got between us. But also, it's so that you will know that I am the Lord, that I turn the water into blood. In other words, you'll, you'll see it and you go, wow, the Lord, he's quite a powerful God. The name the Lord stands for being able to do all kinds of supernaturally miraculous things. Uh, then God sends the plague of um, frogs. And frogs are everywhere in Egypt. And then um, Pharaoh asks Moses to plead for the frogs to be taken away. And God says, okay, I will take away the frogs so that you will know that I am the Lord. So God, I mean, you could say I'm the God who makes frogs, which I guess he does. But he's also the God who takes away frogs. So I am the Lord who's in charge of dealing the punches. And I'm the God who, if you cry to me, can save you and rescue you from the punches. I can send blood. I can take away frogs. And we get more and more plagues and they get worse and worse and worse. And God keeps saying, I want you to know so that you will know what my name means. So that you will know that I am the Lord. So arguably the whole of the, the plagues of Egypt, and in fact even the parting of the Red Sea so that people can escape on dry land as um, Pharaoh tries to chase them with his chariots, and then the closing up of the, the Red Sea so that the Egyptians are drowned and so they won't be um, a threat anymore. Arguably, it's one big branding exercise. I don't mean that trivially. Obviously, God's name means more than Coca-Cola. But it's all a PR exercise. It's also that people would be introduced to him and to know his name. And in the book of Exodus, we discover that God wants everybody to know his name. He wants his people to know his name. Back in um, the beginning of Exodus, Moses is very discouraged. He doesn't look like God cares. God's people are suffering and they cry. And he says to God, look, God, ever since I went to Pharaoh in your name, you haven't rescued your people at all. Your name doesn't mean anything, God. It's just, you're not doing anything. You don't care. And God wants his people to know that he does care. And so he wants them to learn what his name means. When Moses goes to Pharaoh saying, let my people go, Pharaoh scoffs it and says, what? Why should I? I mean, you're perfectly good slaves. You're building all these um, store cities for me in Egypt. And you said I should let you go because the Lord says so. And Pharaoh says in chapter 5, I don't know the Lord. And I will not let the people go. See, names um, have weight, don't they? Or sometimes they don't have weight. Let's imagine you were campaigning um, in Westminster for some change to the law about such and such. And you, you write to the Prime Minister and you say, um, I want you to change the law because Andrew Satch says so. I'm just using myself as an example because it's a ridiculous example. And I guess the letter comes back very politely saying, oh, we're not really acquainted with the name Andrew Satch. You know, what, why should we do something just because... Andrew Satch says, like, who even is that, they say. Whereas if the, um, the Queen is concerned about something and she asks her private secretary to write to Boris Johnson and the, the, the note paper already says, Buckingham Palace, and then at the bottom it says so-and-so, PP, I don't know how she writes it, ER2 or something, and it's something from Big Steel, uh, Seal, in the name of Queen Elizabeth II, well, probably they take it a bit more seriously, that kind of letter. So how well you know someone's name, what someone's name stands for, um, it, it determines whether they're taken seriously 
And Pharaoh says, I have no idea who the Lord is. Why should I let you, you go? And there's lots of gods, aren't there, around the world? I don't know this one. I don't think I'm acquainted with this one. But God wants Pharaoh to know who he is, who is the Lord. He wants his people to know. He wants Pharaoh to know. He wants their grandchildren to know. It's why, by the way, if you've got the plagues in your kids' Bibles, that's a good thing. Because God specifically said, I want this to be told to your children and your children's children. Um, he wants the little children to know who he is. And then he says in the plague of hail, um, that middle plague, he says, I want my name to be proclaimed in all the earth. God wants everybody to know who he is. That God is the promise keeper. He's faithful, like Crossley and Crossley lawyers. You can trust them. Well, I am who I am, God. You can trust him. He's the rescuer, the redeemer. He wants everyone to know that if you're in real trouble and you need to be saved, then he is the one who will save you. Do you remember um, Mary and Joseph um, told by the angel, you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means saviour. He wants everyone to know that he's a warrior that he's stronger than you, that you'd be mad to fight him, that you will lose if you fight him, that you're safe if you're with him. The Lord's a warrior. The Lord is his name. One of my favorite verses about this, I've got so many verses, I'm trying to uh, limit myself, but um, favorite verse was um, from the Proverbs. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. And the reason I love that verse is because there was a Christian song that we sang when I got converted back in the 90s that went, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know this one? Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then the, the verse went, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And then we did the actions, the righteous run into it. Because this was the 90s and Christians did cheesy things like that. And they are saved and then we waved our hands. And I remember um, as a young Christian being a, a bit of a sort of theology Nazi, as I was a bit judgmental, saying, oh, why are we singing these silly songs? Because whoever heard of a name being a tower? It just doesn't even make sense, you know, these ridiculous words we're singing. And how can you run into a name and be safe? It's just daft. And then I was quite a young Christian, but I was quite an arrogant, cocky young Christian. And so I was sort of judging the, the person who chosen the, the songs. And then I started reading for the first time in my life the book of Proverbs, and I found a verse that said, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it. And I say, oh, okay. It comes directly from the Bible. And a name can be a tower because God is a warrior. And he's strong. And if you trust in him, you're going to be safe because he's going to defend you. So it means promise keeper. It means redeem. It means warrior. It means ever-present father. We call on him, his name, as father. And he calls us children and God wants everyone to know that now this is a long introduction before we even got to the commandment but now if I read Exodus chapter 20 verse 7 you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain I hope you can see why it's it's quite a big deal. God cares about this brand. God wants to be known for who he really is. 
Um, God doesn't want to be misrepresented. It's a bit of a problem, isn't there, on Facebook at the moment, where sometimes people can create a fake profile and pretend to be you. Has, anyone, has that ever happened to anybody? It's happened to me. I got, um, I got invited to be friends with Andrew Satch, who had my face and three mutual friends. And I thought, it's really quite chilling, actually. I thought, here, here is someone on Facebook. He's pretending to be me. He's going around trying to collect all the people that I know as people he, he knows. I, I, I've never found out who it is, but it's quite a frightening thing, the fake Andrew Satch. And why is it frightening? frightening? Because he might start saying things on his profile that aren't the sort of things that I would say on my profile. And he's misrepresenting me. I, I felt pretty terrified about that. And it turns out that God feels the same. God doesn't want anybody else speaking in his name falsely or emptily. God hates for his name to be dishonoured. And I've I'm given us a couple of ways that we could do it in the Bible. It, it's not just about saying, um, Lord God Almighty, or blimey, or OMG, or whatever. Um, it's particularly about invoking God or speaking for God when you're not actually speaking for God. So one of the big ways it works out in the Bible is in terms of swearing oaths. And you say, I promise I'll do it. I swear by God Almighty that I'll do it. Now, swearing by God Almighty is not a wrong thing to do by itself because in the Old Testament, quite frequently, people are encouraged to swear by God. And in the New Testament, the apostles, or the apostle Paul quite often says, God is my witness, that, which is the same as sort of swearing by God. So um, taking an oath in the name of the Lord doesn't seem to be a wrong thing by itself. And that's why in a British court, when you put a hand on the Bible and you say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, I think that's okay for Christians to do that. But the thing that's not okay for Christians to do is to swear by Almighty God and then lie or, and then not keep the promise that you've made. Because then you're bringing God into disrepute, even as you yourselves um, are bringing into disrepute. I'm representing him, and now my failure is reflecting badly on him. And so broken oaths in the name of the Lord are a real problem. And that's what Jesus has a go at in the Sermon on the Mount. He just says, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Don't bring God down because you've associated him with what ends up being a dishonouring example. And you can imagine how it might work. Imagine somebody saying, uh, can I trust you? Say, Look, you can absolutely trust me. You can trust me because I'm a Christian. And then you let them down. And they think that you're untrustworthy. And also the name Christian doesn't mean much to them anymore. So don't take it falsely. Don't bring God into it if you're going to Dishonor him. And then also don't take it emptily. So very literally, the, the Hebrew expression for the third commandment says, you shall not lift up the name of the Lord your God emptily. Don't lift up God's name emptily. Don't, don't lift his name, not, not just in a way that's false, but in a way that is empty, in a way that doesn't carry any weight. And I think this is where those sort of swear words kind of come in to their own. Because if you say Jesus Christ, it's a wonderful thing to say in a tricky situation. If you mean Lord Jesus Christ, the King who's seated in heaven, please help me with all of your power. That's a great thing to say. But if you say just, oh, Jesus Christ, as a, 
as meaning nothing, then you're lifting it up emptily. A word that should be a high and powerful name is just being used cheaply in a way that means nothing. If you say, oh my God, in praise, you can find those sort of words in the Psalms a lot. It's a wonderful thing to say. You know, I attribute the praise to my God for this amazing thing. So somebody becomes a Christian and, and a Christian could say, OMG, and mean it absolutely rightly. Lord, I give you all honor for this. But if you just say OMG in a kind of throwaway way, it's being lifted up emptily. It doesn't carry any weight. It's devaluing the words. The words that should be precious and make us think promise keeper, redeemer, warrior, ever-present father become nothingness, meaningless words. So don't take it falsely. Don't make a promise in the name of the Lord that you then break. Don't take it emptily as if it means nothing. But I think we can expand it. And this is where we've seen again and again that all the commandments kind of are perspectives on each other. So they kind of will go together. I think actually you could say that anything done in a Christian's life, if people know that you're a Christian, um, have the, the, the potential to spoil the brand. If I'm known as a Christian... And I um, go around being angry. Um, murder, that would be the sixth commandment. That, that reflects badly on God. If I'm known to be a Christian and I'm um, always telling dirty jokes or demeaning women, um, seventh commandment, that's going to reflect badly on, on God. And we, we find in the prophet Ezekiel that God says that the trouble is that you have acted in a terrible way and you have dishonoured and profaned my holy name. Because all the nations around saying, aren't these men to be God's people? But, I mean, look, the way they live. They just live the same as pagans. And so God's brand is harmed. God hates for his name to be dishonoured. Um, and then, most seriously of all, God will not hold guiltless anyone who takes his name in vain. In other words, there, there are consequences. There are warnings if we use God's name Lightly, And we've seen that with um, commandments already. So um, the commandment last week, the second commandment, had great warnings to it. And the same is true of this commandment. God says terrible, terrible warnings for those who dishonor his name. Um, and in the book of Leviticus, we discover that if somebody blasphemes the name, then they should be put to death. Maybe we'll come to this when we look at murder. But if you were to ask, what is the worst sin in the book we i think most people would say well murder is the worst thing you could do and the bible says it's the second worst thing you could do the worst thing you could do would be dishonored god's name and the second worst thing you could do would be to murder somebody and the one who blasphemes the name must be put to death now it doesn't mean we can't be forgiven and for being a blasphemer remember the apostle paul Um, he was the one who persecuted christians and he despised the name of Christ. And he confesses, I was once a blasphemer against his name. And he was the one who was persecuting Jesus Christ. And yet he's now forgiven and cleansed. So it's not unforgivable, but it is serious. Because we represent Jesus uh, to the world. Um, uh, imagine having a, a big Christian fish badge on. Do you remember people used to have those? 
And people used to have them on either to wear on their jumper or they used to have them on their car. Some people still do. I don't advise it. Um, I'm not a very good driver. And uh, this isn't an, an opt-out, but I thought I can't imagine anything worse than having a Jesus fish badge on my car. Firstly, they're a bit cheesy. But secondly, every time I accidentally do something stupid on the road, I'm going to say to everyone, this driver represents Jesus Christ. And did you see his cornering or the way he cut you up or whatever it is? Um, but it, actually, we can't get away from the fish badge. Maybe people don't know he's in that car. But if we're followers of the, of the king, people will know that we stand for his name. And the way that we live and the things we say, and especially the things we say on his behalf, either reflect on him well and tell people who he is, or they reflect on him badly and conceal who he is. And God wants to be famous. But he wants to be famous for the things that he stands for. Faithful. Saviour. Warrior. Ever-present Father. And as those people call by his name and who call upon his name, uh, let's uphold it to all the nations.